Before we start today's episode, look to we've got our OC social media platoon with us, Danny Reese. You're Danny. Why should we be supporting the uh, Regimental Museum? And tell us how we can do it. Hi all. Yeah. Well, as you may know, the Hereford Regimental Museum receives no formal funding, so we need you, our listeners, to step up and really help us out. We desperately need funds to keep 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 the museum running, but also to improve the experience for you when you pop into to pop into the museum, but also to listen to these podcasts. How can we do this then, Danny? Tell us all about it. Well, our main fundraising form is via the Patreon. Now, Patreon you can you can look on your your smartphones or on the internet, and it's a way of you giving a monthly donation to help directly help us out. And all links for that are on our website. There are rates, different rates at which you can support us at £2, £5 and £10. And if you support us at £10, there's some pretty impressive things that happen, aren't there, Danny? £10 a month, you can uh, have a, a you know, private Q&A session with the curatorial team, a private tour of the museum for you and up to three other people. You can also search the archives. So if you're a collector to the Herefords or interested in Hereford history, you can pull up from the archives. But also, you become a member of the Friends of the Museum, so you get the newsletter, you get to know all the latest toings and froings of the museum. Brilliant. Thanks ever so much, Danny. Do check out our Patreon site. Carry on, Band Sergeant. Hello and welcome to another Just a Walk in the Sun, a monthly podcast from the Herefordshire Light Infantry Museum. Well, we've given Colonel Andy the week off, or the month off this time. I'm the Reverend Paul Roberts, and I'm joined by a special guest today, uh, Mr David Chambers. Hello, everybody. You might have picked up a foreign language announcement, uh, which gives you the clue that we're on the channel tunnel today david david and i are very good friends we go back well how many years since you were 13 paul i I think think i first met you you were in uh, not quite short trousers but getting on that way in those days on a trip down to the imperial war museum i seem to remember so it's been in your blood ever since then it certainly has and we've been going on battlefield tours i think it's 20 two years now or something like that. It must be. It was the year you left university, if you work out that year, and you were going with a friend, and I'd said, I wished I was coming with you. And you turned up a few weeks later and said, my friend isn't coming anymore. Were you serious? And I said, yes, I was serious. And here we are, 22 plus years later, minus the years off for COVID, of course. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, we usually manage about once every, about every other year we manage to, um, we manage to get a leave ticket and um, and, and go over to, um, go over to France Um as the this is of course a podcast about the the, the Herefordshire Regiment. Um, how much do you know about the Herefordshire Regiment? Not David? as much as you do, obviously. <laughs> Your uncle Andy knows a lot more about it. Obviously, being one of the curators of the museum, but I'm anxious to earn a lot. Uh, more hopefully even while we're away at, on this occasion to be to be entirely honest i'm learning as well so when andy um, listens to this podcast there's all there's bound to be lots of things we've got wrong but we'll soon we'll soon find out about that but this moment on the channel tunnel i always think it's actually happening when we're finally 
in the car um, on the Channel Tunnel, uh, waiting to uh, waiting to get out into France. We've got a bit of a mixed program um, uh, for our tour this time, as um, as listeners. I think uh, aware from last time uh, I'm interested in a, um, a battalion of the Worcestershire Regiment as well as the, as the Herefordshire Regiment so don't hold that against me we're following them we're going down to the to the Saar down to the Maginot line to have a look um, at where they were on, on the outpost line there um, supporting the, the, the work of the French on the Maginot line um, but we'll also be looking and our first call really is to Mount Kemmel to find out a little bit more about the Herefordshire Regiment and the role that they played in the closing stages in 1918. So we've now settled into our, our little house. It's rather nice here, isn't it, David? Very pleasant. We couldn't ask for anything more. It's, it's beautiful. Everything that you should need and uh, and more uh, it it really is delightful we had to um uh, we had to get google translate out to work out what the notice on the stairs was but it was it was don't wear your shoes up upstairs wasn't it david in the end absolutely nearly broke my neck when <laughs> i was going up in my socks but apart from that all was well and those of you who know um uh, know the battlefields um of uh, the Ypres salient at, at all uh, we are in the in the shadow of mount kemmel or kemmelberg as it's known nowadays um, near a little place called Lindenhook just on the edge of the village and this was a uh, this was a position that was held by um, German forces uh, until the end of August 1918 and we're going to explore a little bit more uh, and follow in the footsteps of the the first Herefords on on this next stage it's interesting because, David, most people, when they think about the Herefordshire Regiment, um, if they think about the Herefordshire Regiment at all... I'm sure um, they do, Paul. I'm sure, <laughs> I'm they, sure do. they do. Well, if they're listening to this, they, they, must, they must want to know a little bit more about it. We tend to think about the, the first Hereford serving at Suvla Bay and at, in Palestine uh, and, um, and in Egypt. But very uh, lots of people forget that um, at the end of the end of 1918 as there was the war was drawing towards a close um, the first hereford set sail and they landed in france in in july 1918 and um, they were very much were thrown straight into the thick of the action last four months of the war of course mm absolutely absolutely and of course it was uh, the the, the um, we're just starting to turn the tide, really, um, after the German Spring Offensive. Um, those offences going through March, April, and May, nineteen eighteen. Um, but by by June, there were signs of um, of being able to push the British forces, pushing uh, the German forces back. Um, and but things were still quite precarious. And certainly, when the uh, when when the Herefords were sent down uh, with. Their, uh, in their new division, the 34th Division, they um, were, were, th- were thrown into, into action where uh, to hold the French line um, around Chateau Thierry. They, uh, they, they fought a, a large engagement there and then they moved up to, uh, to Mount Kemmel. So we've left our comfortable Airbnb and have travelled a mile or so up the road and are on the northern slopes of the Kemmelberg or 
Mount Kemmel at a place called Lettenberg. I've left David exploring the British concrete dugouts below me and have walked up to an outcrop on the northern slope of the hill from where over rolling fields I can see La Clit or De Clit as it is in Belgium now from where the Herefordshire Regiment advanced on to the Kemmelberg along with the rest of their division at the very end of August 1918. If I look over a little bit more to my right I can see the city of Ypres with its spires and cloth hall tower about four miles away. The summit of the Kemmelberg behind me is the highest point in the province of West Flanders although don't worry about your ears popping um, when you get to the top. It's only 154 metres or just over 500 feet in old money. However, since the earliest time in a fairly flat landscape, it's been an important defensive position. The earliest settlements on Mount Kemmel date back two and a half thousand years when Celtic tribes lived in the area. Indeed, the hill takes its name from Camelos, the Celtic god of war, as does, incidentally, the Roman name for Colchester, Camulogenum. This link to war was, um, I suppose, sadly prescient at Mount Kemmel. Um, here was the scene of intense and bloody fighting during the First World War. It's densely wooded now, but during the war all of the trees had been blown away by continual shell fire, and those who controlled the top could observe their opponents for miles. Allied troops held Mount Kemmel until the German Spring Offensive in 1918, when, during the April Battle of the Lys, German forces attacked the positions behind me. The British held Mount Kemmel against a determined German onslaught on the 17th of April 1918, and it was just after this that the French took over the lines here. The Germans attacked again, using gas this time, and on the 25th of April they broke through taking the hill. Thousands of men were lost and there's a French cemetery and ossuary further up the hill that bears testament to this bloody fighting. I think if I remember rightly there's over 5,000 soldiers buried in quite a small area of land and only 60 of them are identified. The taking of Mount Kemmel was hailed as a great victory in Germany. Several streets and army barracks were named after the battle However, the German offensive was running out of steam by this point and this marked the furthest extent of the advance in this sector. But with Kemmel's bloody reputation, I imagine it was with some trepidation that the men of the Herefordshire Regiment and other 34th Division soldiers prepared to advance towards this formidable position. Standing here, I can see the route they took which, of course, means that the German defenders could also see them advancing. There are uh, little shallow um, sort of divots in the ground and um, certain areas of cover, but really it is quite exposed. As I mentioned earlier, they'd been the Herefordshire Regiment had been recently fighting much further south near Chateau Thierry in France and had been instrumental in stemming a German advance there. And, and then they were pretty quickly moved to this southern part of the Ypres salient in Belgium. And so it was on the 30th of August 1918 that divisional patrols went forward. Their divisional commander had been in conference with his neighbouring divisional commander and they'd realised that the German forces had been falling back either side of the hill all day. 
The two men realised that German troops on the top of the hill would be left isolated if they didn't retreat off the high ground. So looking at the um, divisional history, which I've brought with me, it, it says here, on his return to his headquarters, General Nicholson at once issued orders for both brigades in the line to push out patrols without delay, to follow the enemy should they retire and seize Kemmel Hill. Both brigades lost no time in carrying out the orders, and there's a dispute as to which won the race, for General Nicholson's prediction turned out to be correct, and the Germans stole off during the night, covered by a rearguard which put up a certain amount of resistance. At 0600 the following morning, a patrol of 124 Brigade had topped Kemmel Hill, and about the same time, patrols of the 2nd 4th Queen's 101 Brigade reached its northern slopes. On the left, the enemy held on a little longer, and it was not until noon that the 2nd Loyal North Lanx patrols were able to advance, by which time the remainder of 101 and 124 brigades, um, including men of the Herefordshire Regiment in support, were well east of Kemmel Hill and the village. In fact, if I look at the map, it looks as though they stopped at around the point of our Airbnb. In his diary, a um, Herefordshire sergeant, Sergeant Pugh, recorded the next day or so of the fighting when the the um, Herefordshire Brigade, the brigade that the Herefordshire Regiment were in, were brought forward. He um, Pugh writes, on Monday, September the 2nd, we were in the front line again and were in action on the Tuesday until Thursday attacking Kemmel Village, which was held by the Germans. There was serious fighting, rifle firing, and we were entrenched. One little village close to Kemmel and not far from us was knocked to smithereens by artillery. We held the ground there for a week. Lieutenants Barnett and Lister were killed and Lieutenant Edwards of Hereford was taken prisoner of war with a few men. Now, of course, this marked the beginning of the final phase of the war, the Hundred Days, as it's often known, which led the Allied victory in France and Flanders. Um, another Herefordshire sergeant, and we're lucky enough to, to have uh, details of his diary as well, he wrote, On September the 4th, having now been reinforced by large drafts from the Ox and Bucks Light Infantry, the Cheshires, the Gloucesters and the Devons, we went into action once more. About this time, Colonel Lawrence left us, and we had several commanders, but the bulk of the work fell on Major Chip, who was temporarily appointed to command. This officer's work was excellent, and within the last two months of the war, he received a Distinguished Service Order and Bar, a French Croix de Guerre and a Belgian Croix de Guerre, an excellent record, and of course, um, listeners will remember that we've um, spoken about uh, uh, Colonel Chip uh, re in one of our recent episodes from the museum itself so sergeant colleague carries on to say the battalion was now continuously in action and right through september the regiment was always in the front passing through gelevelt menin and Lave, before uh, being the first english troops to pass through these places i find it fascinating really that this hill which had been so bitterly fought over in April 19, was taken with very little loss of life in September. And today it's a peaceful place, fully wooded once more, with steep cobbled roads leading to the summit, popular with cyclists who enjoy a challenge. And here on this outcrop, a few years ago, a, a local man installed a trail with the Stations of the Cross following the events of Good Friday. 
It's a beautiful part of the Belgian countryside once more. However, wherever you look, there are reminders of the war, cemeteries, memorials and small boundary markers known as Albert Stones, which mark the furthest extent of the German advance into Belgium. But I think, again, looking over towards Ypres, uh, I can perhaps feel our next stop coming on. So I'll round David up and we'll head off in that direction. Well, the format of this podcast is very much taking a walk in the sun. We've done that over uh, Camelberg and we've now worked up a bit of a thirst, haven't we, David? Well, I understand that this is uh, the usual pattern of these chats, but uh, I've been kicking and screaming, but he's managed to drag me into this very nice little bar. There are I have to admit it. The bruises are from twisting your arm, David. You'll be dabbing ointment on them for, for weeks, I'm sure. Well, you can buy me one of their dark beers because... The Belgian beers are to be uh, admired. There are dozens of beers on this menu, and it's very hard to choose which one to to try. I think I'm going to have to go for something not too strong because some of these beers are well over 10%, and uh, we have to walk home back to where we're uh, staying tonight. Indeed, indeed. We are in a in a bar just below the, the Menin Gate, the hugely poignant memorial to thousands of British soldiers um, who were lost on the Ypres salient and have no known graves. I think it's quite fitting that the that the beer you've uh, that you've selected is the Wipers Times dark Absolutely. beer. Absolutely, Wipers is the colloquialism, the local, uh, I say local, the British soldiers, I should say, used for Ypres, which is the correct pronunciation, so I'm told. Uh, but uh, the British couldn't get their tongues around that, so they decided to call it wipers. And so I thought, well, this is very appropriate, so mm. that's what I've ordered. Get them in, Paul. Absolutely. No, it's, it's looking good. It's looking good. Oh, here they come now, actually. And I've, I've gone for a St. Bernardus Wit beer, a wheat beer, because I quite like those cloudy wheat beers. Um, and, and I think we've spent... Many a um, many an afternoon after a uh, you know, after a busy uh, tour of various battlefields in northern France and in Belgium, and indeed further afield as well, all the way down to the Alsace, um, they've often ended up, haven't they, with a um, uh, with a with a beer, very occasionally, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then maybe a um, uh, maybe a, a meal in a restaurant. You can read a huge amount about the battlefields in books, and you can see films. Um, but actually standing on the ground itself and um, being able to, you know, as much as one possibly can, put um, put you, you, yourself in, in the boots, really, of those men who were there. Is, um, it can be really moving, can't it, David? Really, I knew very little about this when I started these expeditions with Paul. My father actually fought with uh, the army through North Africa and Italy but died when I was very young so I didn't really ask him a great deal about it wished I had have done now but then at that age you don't do you Mm. and so this has really been an eye-opener and the things that I've learned through Paul's research and walking the battlefields really puts these places in context when he tells me that there has been a gun battery up here 
and Captain so-and-so went in that direction, took four men with him, and as a result won a military cross or whatever other award it may be. But yes, walking these battlefields really does bring the whole situation to life in front of you, even though Paul says it's been... It is a hundred years ago, isn't it? Mm, absolutely, yes. Getting on for you know the, the next sort of hundred and ten years now. I mean, it's um, it's amazing, really, how time has flown. And in some places, you go to a battlefield um, like looking at the advance of the, the Herefords today from um, Le Clit all the way up to um, up to Kemmel. Peaceful fields. The Kemmelberg now completely covered in trees. During the First World War, there'd have been absolutely no trees there whatsoever. It shows how the land has been has been restored. But there are, when you look carefully, there are always um, those telltale signs. I remember when we, do you remember when we visited um, the Temple of Girard, uh, further south from here, near Peron? And the the Germans have been falling back to the Hindenburg line, and they they had this this fortified hill that the um, the Eighth Worcestershire Regiment uh, took, and we 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 took a walk up to the top, and of course it was surrounded by fields. But when we got into the woodland, it was it was clear to see where those trenches had been. Very emotive. You could see where the trenches had been, and the men had lied. It had been virtually undisturbed, just disturbed by nature, not by people. So, although obviously the uh, trenches were um, rounded off and what they must have been in the original form, they were now um, very, very visible. Mm. And mm. that often doesn't happen because it's on lower land, it has been ploughed out. But on these mounds sometimes, they still remain because people haven't been up there because it's not possible to uh, cultivate that sort of soil. Mm. And it also reminds me of Camel, who you were just talking a few minutes ago, that people still regard those places with a special respect, I think mm. is the word. Mm. Uh, a man whose name I can't remember. Can you remember the gentleman's name? The, the man who erected the Stations of the Cross up the Kemmel uh, Hill. Oh, no, I can't. I, well, I'll put that in the podcast description. I'll have to look at that in my, in my notes. But he decided, obviously, that this was a special spot. And so he decided that he would erect the Stations of the Cross. And I'm... Well, we know because the, the signs are up to say that that procession up the hill, st- stopping at each station of the cross, had happened about a week before we arrived. And at the summit, there's a crucifix with Christ uh, at the summit of the hill. So even today, uh, there is respect for those places where the Herefords fought. Mm, mm, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think we ought to pay our own respects, David, and um, it's not that long um, until the last post ceremony up at the Menin Gate. Unfortunately, at the moment, they, there's works going on at the gate, so um, we can't gather under the under the arch as we normally would, um, and, and traffic would come to a, a stop, uh, and we would hear the buglers uh, from underneath the arch of the Menin Gate. But the, that ceremony is taking uh, place just to the side at the moment. But, uh, but nonetheless, a very important way of, of marking our respect um, on, uh, and it's wonderful to see that this, this very simple ceremony uh, continues and goes from strength to strength, apart from during the Second World War when it happened at Brookwood Cemetery in Surrey. Uh, other than that, um, it's 
gone on every day certainly the number of people in the last well even in the last 20 years that we've visited has well, grown do you remember us going when the Duke of Edinburgh was uh, intending to visit the following week and the rehearsals were going mm, on at mm. uh, full full throttle I mm. think was the word and then the week after we returned I was able to watch it all again on television yes indeed I, I know certainly the very first time I went there were probably I don't know about 20 people there and uh, and uh, and in more recent times it's been absolutely full which is a which is a wonderful thing to see so from us uh, in the beautiful uh, rebuilt city of Ypres we bid you a fond farewell looking forward to inviting Andy back to join us at this podcast next time but in the meantime David it's been brilliant to have you as our as our guest thank you for inviting me I thoroughly enjoyed every minute and from me and from David bye bye for now bye bye